0: go to 1 John chapter uh, 1 John chapter 2. We're in week three of breaking the yoke of debt. God wants to get you out of debt. He's paid for, we know this, he paid for the debt of sin on the cross. All of it. All of it. How many of you guys want to pay for any of your own sin? Anybody? No, none of us, because we can't. It's a price too great for us. And And guess whose fault it was? that, uh, you have sin. It's your own. Well, no, no, well, yeah, you can say I was born into it, but, but, but come on, let's be honest. It took you about 15 seconds after birth to start figuring that stuff out, right? Like, oh, I'm going to do it my, I'm going to have it my way too. And so the sin that, that, uh, Jesus paid for was, was the debt of sin that he paid for was debt that we accumulated, right? And, uh, does that mean, hey, well, hey, Jesus pays for it, so let's just let's just get further in debt? You know, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Let's continue to sin. Is that is that what it means? No, no, we don't want that. And understand that that in a very similar way, God's provided a way for us to get out of financial debt. Financial debt that who got us in? Don't look at anybody else right now. Don't look at them. And say, I married you with your debt, buddy. That was your debt. Come on now. It, we get ourselves in a mess, and God is saying not only does He want us out of debt, but He wants to get us out of debt. Now, don't misconstrue that to think, oh, all right, well, I don't even need to come to church. He's just going to get me out of debt. I'm going to go do whatever. No, you've got to receive the word of the Lord that He's, he's directing to us. He's speaking to us because He's telling us some things, and, and he's, letting, he's letting us know, not only do I want to get you out of debt, But I want to get debt out of you. You can get out of bondage, but if bondage isn't out of you, you're gonna get right back into it. And so the Lord is saying, I want to get you out of debt. And I, God says, I want to do it. So He's gonna direct you, He's going to bring things your way that you couldn't accomplish on your own. Amen. Is that a good thing? Yeah, that's something that He wants He wants to do in our life. So we talked about that, what we identified that yoke of debt. Debt is the money you, you owe. But the yoke of debt is the bondage of your heart to, to going after things that, that you, you, you haven't prepared for, saved for, that, that you just have to have it. And we talked about the spirit of mammon who, who you know, the, there is the yoke of debt that we get connected to. But who's driving that? Who's enticing? Who's trying to get us more and more into bondage? You know, it's that term mammon, it's that spirit of mammon or that, that false god that tries to say, you can, have, you can have the stuff, I just want your soul. You can, have, you can have the money, I want the people. This is what that spirit of mammon, which is, it's satanic. And, and he's always trying to keep even God's people in bondage, even though he can't have us for eternity, but still, if he just has us for a little while here, he'll take what he can get. And so today we're going to continue on, and we're going to dig a little bit deeper into some of our cravings, because God is saying, I want to get debt out of you. And so we're identifying those things. Oh, there's the yoke. We want to stay away. Now we understand who is at work behind the scenes there. But what's going on on the inside of us? God wants to deal with what's going on on the inside of us. He wants our heart. He wants to set us free from some of those things, because, again, you can get into an environment to where everything is good. But if there's stuff in here, you'll get right back into the old environment, right? Some of you guys have experienced this. Maybe you grew up in a certain area, and you know, I got to get out of that area because all my friends, all the things we do, all the places we go gets me into trouble. And then you uproot and you go over here because over here, I don't know anybody. It's a different environment or whatever. And guess what happens? We see it happen all the time, right? Right? People find themselves in the same situation. New friends like the old friends, doing new stuff like the old stuff, going to new places that are like the old places. Why is that? Because it's not the outside, it's the inside, right? It's the inside. And this is what we always struggle with. And we think, you know, if I get out of this relationship, oh, he'll treat me good. If I get out of this job, oh, that will be better. If I can get out of this neighborhood, oh, then we're good. But wherever you go, listen to this. This is profound. Wherever you go, there you are. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Turn to somebody next to you and say, that's deep. Wherever you go, there you are. And so unless God changes your heart and changes who you are, then you're going to be in the same situation that you're in. And so the Lord is speaking some things to us. He's speaking some things to us. First John chapter 1 uh, First John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Let's read this out loud from the screens together. It says this. It says, "'Do not love the world or the things in the world. "'If anyone loves the world, "'the love of the Father is not in him. "'For all that is in the world, "'the lust of the flesh, "'the lust of the eyes, "'and the pride of life.'" is not of the Father, but is of the world. He said, so all these things that are in the world, he said, don't let that get in your heart, because those things there, they're not of God. And and so God is addressing these things and saying that, that that right there, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, these things are what bring people down. I see it and I want it. I've got to have it. Oh, that's going to lift me up and make me feel better about myself, or make others respect me, or to to honor me, or you know, they're they're going to see that I'm not like them. I've achieve, achieved and attained. Loving the things of the world can get us into a lot of trouble, cause us to act like people that we're really not, cause us to do things that we don't really. Um, we don't, we don't want to be that person and do those things. Gets us into debt in so many different ways. It's trying to be like the world, right? Debt can be a symptom, a symptom of something deeper. It can be a symptom of something deeper. Now, I don't mean like, man, you know what? Here's the ability to buy a home. It's a great deal, it's whatever, you name the price, $100,000, $200,000, $50,000, does not matter, and you don't have that money in, you, uh, in your pocket, right? But you need to have a, a roof over your head, and you get a mortgage for it, and it's affordable. You're not stretching out beyond, way beyond your, your ability to, you know, your means and so forth. That's one thing of using debt. It's another thing of, man, I've got to have those shoes. What's wrong with the shoes you have? You only have two feet how many pairs of shoes can you wear? Now, I know because I'm one to, to talk because I have a, a closet full of shoes, and I know that feeling, and I like shoes, and I know that if I don't... And you guys look at me like, your shoes need to be shined. I know. <laughs> I feel bad about it. I feel bad in my heart. Um, but when it's out of control, then you start spending money you don't have on credit and so forth. So you can see there's a symptom, though. It's not the dead. It's, it's what's in the heart that, that there's cravings on the inside that says, I have to have it now. Look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 17. It says, he who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. Well, sometimes we look at poor people and we think, well, they don't have any pleasure. And sometimes it's, they, are, uh, they grew up in a circumstances and situations that many of them, beyond their control, stuff happened, things came along their way. But there are many people who, because they love pleasure and they go after it, that they never are able to save, they're never able to get ahead, they never make wise investments, the right investments, they're never able to stick to something long enough to see the benefit of it in the long term. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. It says, let me give this to you in the NTT version. This is the New Technology Translation. It says this, he who loves technology will be a poor man. He who loves smartphones and video games will drive a junky car. You ever read it in that version? (laughs) How about this, the MAWV, the mall addicted woman version. She who loves shopping will be a poor woman. She who loves purses and shoes will lack money for hair and nails. What about this, the NDST, or the newly defined savings translation? He who is married to someone who utters the words, I save so much money at the mall today, will be a poor man. The more she saves, the more his retirement delays. What about this one, last one? There's another version, the NSVVWW. New Starbucks Venti version with whip. He who loves coffee bar beverages will be a poor man. He who loves macchiatos and frappuccinos will eat a lot of pentobinos. <laughs> Cravings unchecked cost more than we want to pay. Cravings that are unchecked cost more than we want to pay. Um, the lust, that's what we're talking about, breaking the yoke of lust. Lust. To, some people say lust. You know, like like for her or for him. Well, it could include that, but it's not just that. There's this these cravings and these these desires on the inside that that cause us to go after things that we have to have right now. We don't want to resist. Do you remember um, Gehazi? Gehazi was a, a servant of Elisha, and and um, Naaman the Syrian who was outside of the land of Israel and outside of the covenant of God, heard that the prophet uh, could heal him of his leprosy. And so he comes to him and he brings all kinds of like treasure and and, um, riches and, and things, provision to bless the man of God. When he, you know, as a, just a matter of honor, I'm coming over you. I'm traveling from my country. I want to respect you and honor you. So I'm bringing these things to you because I'm asking you to do something for me. And so Elijah says, I don't want anything from you. I don't want anything from you. You simply go and, and dip in this Jordan River seven times and then you're going to be healed. And so the, the man of God uh, gives him the word, word of the Lord. He goes. And he gets healed. He does what he says. And then he wants to bring him all that stuff. And Elisha's like, no, no, no. You just go on back with your stuff, you know. Be blessed. Be healed. But Gehazi was his servant. And he's looking at all this stuff. And he's looking at the clothing. And he's looking at the silver. He's looking at the gold. He's looking at these things. And in his heart, he said, my, my master, my, you know, Elisha, he didn't take anything from this man. But I want it. And I'm going to go after it and get it. You see, Elijah's point was this. He's sitting there saying, God needs to get all the credit for this. And people need to know that there's a God in Israel who, who will, when, when Naaman goes back and tells him and he, he, they see him, they see this fresh skin, this new life he has. When they say, what happened to you? He said, I went over to Israel because there's a God in Israel who heals. And when they say, "Well, well, how did that happen to you though? But how much did it cost? If it cost him a dime, there's somebody who's going to say, "I can't afford it." If he said, "I I gave him all this treasure, I gave him all this wealth," people would say, "Oh well, well, he won't do it for me." So God is trying to communicate: No, I will do it for everybody. I'll do it for anybody without cost. God God will get all the glory for it, and Elijah knew that, but Gehazi had lust in his heart or these cravings that were unchecked in his heart. And he said, my master didn't take anything, but I'll go after, after Naaman and I'll take something from him. So he goes after him and he says, oh, my master changed his mind and he deceived him. And he said, can you give him a couple garments of the, the clothing and, 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 a, and a bag of silver? And not only did he end up taking that from Naaman, but the Bible says he took something far worse. He took leprosy. Because when he got back to Elisha, Elijah said, what did you do? He said, nothing, I've been here all along. Elijah said, no, didn't my spirit go with you? The very leprosy that was on Naaman is going to come on you. And from that point on, he lost his ministry, he lost his role, he lost his reputation, he lost his health because he had unchecked cravings, unchecked lust. Things that he wanted so bad ended up costing him more than he wanted to pay. It's like that saying, you know, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. Isn't that true? And that's what happened with Gehazi. Lust destroys. We've got to resist that. We've got to present that to the Lord, those cravings and those desires, and saying, God, I don't want this in my heart. I don't want anything that you don't want. God, and everything you have for me, that's what I want. And I'll go after it your way. Amen? You see, your flesh, and not just the physical, but also the physical. But when we say flesh, it's the, the desires, the carnal desires. And your, your born-again spirit, when you have given your life to Jesus, you believe in him. And the Bible says that, that his spirit comes in, in us, and, and we have a born-again spirit, gives us new life. They're not on the same page, are they? (laughs) The spirit on the inside of you wants something that your flesh doesn't want. Galatians 5, 16, and 17 says it like this, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. There's that battle on the inside of you, there's that battle on the inside of you, and you if you feed the flesh, the flesh grows stronger. If you feed the spirit, the spirit grows stronger. It's like the guy who said, said I've, got, I've got two dogs on the inside, and they're, they're fighting, and there's, they're battling. There's the good dog and the bad dog. And the guy asked him, well, which one's winning? He said, it's the dog I feed more. <laughs> it's the one I feed more. And that's how we, we uh, approach life, isn't it? What you feed more is what grows stronger on the inside. And so dealing with these cravings, dealing with these these desires and lusts, we have to really present those before the Lord and say, God, help me to starve that one to death, (laughs) to death. And help me to feed this one till he gets stronger and stronger and stronger, right? Help me to feed my spirit. They're opposed to each other. One of the ways that we, we affect, you know, feed our cravings is who we hang out with. Proverbs 23, 20, and 21 says, do not mix with wine bibbers or gluttonous eaters of meat. I like meat. I don't drink, but I eat. I eat meat. I like ribs. Yes, yeah, steak, chicken. Turkey, bacon. bacon, whatever you know. There, we like you know. Some of you guys are. If, if you're a vegetarian, okay. I like vegetables too. You think it's so mean what people do to those animals? You see what they do to broccoli? I mean, that stuff. It's just barely growing up, and they just take a sharp knife and mmm. Hear those little broccoli screaming. But listen, you can you can like something but not be gluttonous. But when you hang out with people who go beyond what's in moderation and healthy, it says, don't mix with them. It says, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. First of all, the gluttonous and that that drunkard, they come to poverty. You ever hear the saying, show me your friends and I'll Show you your future. Some of you guys are like, "Uh, I need to delete some people right now from my contact list because that is not where I want to go. Ask any older person here. Older, you define older. Like for me, it's older than me. (laughs) For you, you might be like, yeah, I need to find someone in their 20s. You know, whatever it is. Ask anybody who has any life experience and they'll talk to you about the impact of your friends on your life. Is that true? Is it? Can anybody here attest to that? All you people who are older than 20, right? Okay. Some of you guys haven't learned your lesson yet? Is that why you didn't raise your hand? (laughs) I'm going to talk to you about your friends today. Drunkard and glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Why are you drowsy? Because I stayed up too late. Doing what? Partying with my friends. Hanging out with my friends on a regular basis. And now I'm drowsy and I'm just not sharp at work and I'm not paying attention or opportunities are coming and, and, and I don't catch them. Or when it comes time to harvest in the field, I'm too tired. And then it rots on the vine, right? We miss those opportunities. And who you hang out with, it affects your finances. You overspend yielding to cravings, right? Because your friends are doing it. And it's bad when your gluttonous friends either have more money than you or they just use credit more than you. And then they're out there doing things and you feel the pressure to run with them. And by the way, this isn't just to the young adult or the teenager. This is all of us at any stage of life. You know, you get to a certain point where now it's not just going out to dinner, but now it's going on the vacations or, or, or it's, it's buying the nicer cars or buying the boat or, or whatever it is. There's always that. It's always that. We're like grown-up kids when it comes to cravings. And, and we process through those things. There's a, there's a wisdom in being able to pull back from all that, right? There, there's a maturity that it takes. Who you hang out with affects your financial situation. You have to allow that flesh to be starved to death. You can't overcome the flesh in the flesh. You can't just try harder either, by the way. If I just do the right thing and just beat myself up enough. No, in fact, Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The way to overcome this is not by just getting on a good plan. You need to be on a good plan. But that is not the solution because you got to deal with this in the heart. And so the way to overcome the flesh is to walk in the Spirit. We need Jesus. We need God's help. I'm telling you, so many of us have tried things over and over and over again. We read the books. We went to the seminar. You know, we made the plans. But the change wasn't lasting. What creates lasting change when we walk in the Spirit? And by the way, don't think that something dramatic has to happen to you. It's not that. It's not Um, it's not this miraculous thing that just has to totally turn everything around. It's walk in the Spirit, one step at a time, little change, little growth, little development. Walk in the Spirit every day, every moment. You just keep staying in step with the Spirit, drawing closer to the Lord. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about five years from now. Just simply right here today, Lord, I invite you in. God, lead me. What does your word say? And you don't know it all. You don't have to catch it all. Just catch what he says to you today. Walk in the spirit, step by step. He'll get you out of that stuff. You, you're walking in the spirit. The flesh rises up, and you ever, you ever get hungry? And then you drive by McDonald's, and you're like, I hate McDonald's. But right now, that looks good. I'm pulling in there or whatever, two steps back. Right? Like, man, I was I was just losing weight. And bikini season's coming up, and I was I was looking good, you know, whatever. Now I messed it up. All right. Well, you messed up. Walk in the spirit one step at a time. Forgiveness, receive it, strengthening from the Lord, right? That's how we have to do it because the Lord wants you out of debt. He wants you free. And he wants you free from the craving that internal craving or the, the, the lust of the flesh. So how do you break free? I want to give you a couple things. First of all, number one, you have to believe that God wants you free. You have to believe that God wants you free. You got to see this not as something that's optional where God says, if you, if, if you want to be free, go ahead. You've got to be convinced, no, God wants me free, and I want what God wants. Yeah. Tell the person next to you, you want what God wants. So in John uh, 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, now these are people who believed him. Believing him is one thing, but he said, now, if you, you believe me, that's good. But if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And look at this verse 32. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Those who believed him need to abide in his word. You have to be convinced that God wants you free. And, and he said this, if you abide in my word, you're going to know the truth. Not just know it like intellectually, but, but have experienced it. Some, uh, some of you guys, you know some things not because you read it, but because you le- you lived it, right? Like, I know I will never go back there again. I know there's some things I will never say to my wife again. <laughs> Not because I read it in a book, but because I experienced it, right? I know that. Experience. You say one thing once, and you know that's it. That's all you had to say it, because the message is clear, and that will not happen again. (laughs) Some people say there's no fear in love, but they're not married to my wife. You, some of you guys know that right now. Your spouse, your wife will put the fear of God in you. If not your spouse, your mama, right? So you have to believe this. Number two, redirect your words. We just taught on this series uh, about the power of our words, words that change everything. But um, one of the things we do is in 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to confess quickly, quickly, don't delay. Man, when you say something wrong, you do something wrong, you just quickly, as quick as even if you realize you're in the midst of it right now. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I can't say anything to God right now while I'm doing it. Right, right right now, I'm in the midst of it. If I say I'm sorry for doing this, it's kind of, isn't that hypocritical? I got to wait for a while so I can then stop doing it and feel bad about it for long enough so he knows I mean it. Now, let me tell you something. When you say it down the road, that's not when God found out about it. Not like your parents or whatever when all of a sudden they discovered what you did a while back. But he knows in the moment you're in it. And so in the moment you're in it, that's when you just quickly recognize and you confess to the Lord with your words, redirecting your words. Oh God, I'm sorry. I don't want any part of this. I don't want to keep stuck in this lifestyle. I don't want this on the inside of me. Right there. You quickly direct your words to him. And it says that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then you begin to declare yourself, this is not who I am. And you use the power of your words to redirect your life and say, no, I'm a child of God. I'm not, I'm not a, an addict. I'm not, I'm not a glutton. I'm not, I'm not in bondage. I'm free. Right. And you use your words to declare what God says about you. You redirect your words. Some people say, well, is that just positive talk? Nope. It's the power of God working through you when you believe what God's word says. Declare yourself to be free from the bondage of lust and those cravings. James 3, 2 through 4, listen to this. It says, indeed, we all make many mistakes, some more than others. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect, and we could also control ourselves in every other way. What? Some people think that it's simply the cravings on the inside or their habits or their patterns or, or their environment. But the Bible said, no, your words are so powerful that if you can get your tongue under control, that it will affect every other area of your life. And that's, I'm telling you, a mark of maturity is not being a better person, though that's helpful for many of us. But a significant mark of maturity are the words that we speak, that they're in alignment with what God says. Anyone can give their opinion. Anyone can say what is going on in the natural. Anyone can go with the flow. But it takes someone strong on the inside to come into agreement with God and his words and to speak those words even when they don't see it coming to pass. He says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want it to go by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship Turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. And verse 5, did we go through 5 on that? No, we're staying at verse 4. So, so the idea is your tongue, though it's a little member, it has great control for your life. So we've got to believe that God wants us free and redirect the words. Redirect the words that we speak. Oh, I've got to have that. Oh, I can't live without it. Oh, I just need... Man, as well, soon as that comes out, I'm getting it, right? We live that way. We live that way because our words line, set us up for it. Number three, redirect your eyes. Bounce your eyes. Bounce your eyes. Redirect your eyes. Proverbs twenty-seven twenty: hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Never satisfied. The eyes are windows to the soul, right? And if we don't learn how to redirect our eyes, we're always looking at things that, remember the first scripture, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, the cravings on the inside when a direct, when a direct, and the the condition of our soul will direct. And so the eyes of man are never satisfied. You can never get enough. Never get enough. They always want something more, always to to satisfy a craving. Job 31.1 says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Some people say, well... There's nothing wrong with looking at the menu as long as you don't eat. Let me tell you something. If you are married, there is something wrong with looking at the menu even if you don't eat, right? Come on. Some of you you spouses, especially ladies, you should have been like, hey, hey, I'm going to say this, let's start over, back up as if you haven't heard it yet. There is something wrong with looking at the menu, even if you don't eat, especially if you're married. Amen. All right. Some of you should have bruised ribs right now. I mean, it should have been that good of an amen. Amen. right, but you don't want to embarrass anybody in here. So Job was a married man. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman, but you don't have to be married to make that covenant with your eyes, not to look with lust at somebody else. You just need to have given your life to Jesus and saying, God, I am determined that I want nothing that you don't want for me, and I want everything you have for me, but that right there, him or her right there, you have not given that to me, and so I am not going to look with lust upon them, because here's the problem, we are trained that when we sit down at the restaurant and we look at the menu, we zero in with our eyes on what we want and we order it. So yeah, there is a problem with looking at the menu because eventually you'll eat. And it might take a long time, it might take a short time, but if you don't bring that under the lordship of Jesus and learn to bounce your eyes away... then eventually you're going to find yourself in a situation that you wish you weren't in. Some people would say, well, I can't keep the birds from flying over my head, but I can keep them from building a nest there, right? Because the world we live in, anywhere you go, you're going to see stuff that Creates cravings and desires and triggers and feeds you, and, and and it doesn't just have to be like on the the sexual desires and so forth. It could be anything. Some people struggle with food. Some people struggle with the technology. Some people struggle with with uh, with you know a, a trip. Some struggle with with a lifestyle. Some struggle with with um, stuff, and some struggle with people. Whatever. But the eyes, they're the windows to the soul, and they're they're always trying. You know, it's like. The cravings are trying to grab hold through the eyes and redirect your eyes. And so you have to redirect your eyes. It'll save you. Feeding cravings leads to bad decisions. When you feed those cravings, it leads to bad decisions. When you keep looking, 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 it leads to bad decisions. Second Peter 2.8 says, Yes, Lot was a righteous man. Who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. Some of you, you know, you're trying to get out of debt and you keep reading Homes and Garden magazines. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Better Homes and Garden magazines. Because that's what the magazine's title actually is. Better than what? Better than yours. (laughs) And so you read it, and you look at it, and you look at the pictures, and all of a sudden I've got to have it. And next thing you know, you got the truck down at Home Depot or Lowe's, and you're loading stuff up with money that you don't have because you want a better home or garden. You're watching all the shows on TV, and you find yourself, uh, you know, going and and stretching out and doing these things. I got to have it. Got to have it. And by the way, when you're debt free, you can do that stuff. And you can go pay for it debt-free, and there's no sorrow to it. You're not paying for it when you're done with the project. Do you see that? When you're debt-free, you can do those kind of things. You can buy those shoes. You can buy that technology. And you can do it debt-free. You can buy a car. You can save up and do that. You can go on the trip and do it, and there's no sorrow to it. And it doesn't limit you when the next opportunity from God comes up. That's a good thing, isn't it? Redirect your eyes. Redirect your eyes. Your ears. Uh, Number four, redirect your ears. Proverbs 10 17. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So much of what we can listen to can feed our flesh and our cravings and our desires. It could be the morning talk show host, it can be, you know, what you, the, the news you listen to, the shows that you watch, it could be the things that people you hang out with, what they talk about. But that goes in our ears. And then it creates something on the inside because your ears, it's a pathway to what you put your faith on. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen says. So you want the faith to believe God to do what he wants to do in your life? Get his word in your in your ears. Redirect your ears to him. Spend time daily in the word there, reading it with your eyes and listening to it and listening to faith-filled teaching. Number five, redirect your mind. Romans chapter 8, 5 and 6 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. You ever wonder why someone lives according to the flesh? Because they set their mind on it. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Imagine, use your mind for a moment to imagine yourself, Free from those cravings, free from any addictions, free from lusts, free from debt. I mean, just imagine with your mind what that would feel like, what that would look like. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You start to see yourself. When you get this word on the inside of you, you start to see yourself lust-free, debt-free, debt-free, not flee, debt-free, overflowing, obedient to God. You believe that God wants you free. You redirect your words. You redirect your eyes. You redirect your ears. You redirect your mind. You start to see this, and then you guess what happens? You start to experience it. Redirect. I'm going this direction. I'm redirecting it. How many of you guys feel like today is a good day for redirecting?